The following is a presentation of Dating Kinky, Kinky Connections, and Kinky Education. We're kinky, done differently. what women and other wonderful humans want. A frank and fun discussion about the way people approach each other for romance, relationships, friendships, or other partnerships that make us happy, as well as an intimate discussion about how to connect with our own authentic self. With questions asked by a guy. And now here is your host, John, or as we call him around here, hi there, catsuit. Hello there, Nookie, and welcome to What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. I'm John, also known as Hi There Catsuit, and each week we bring out the authenticity and fascinating personalities from around the kink world and beyond. And today we visit with an absolute icon of the industry, who in a quarter of a century has brought fantasies to life that most of us can only dream about. Jewel Marceau began her career in the BDSM and fetish genre in 1996 and quickly became a BDSM fetish and femdom movie producer and director. She has produced over 160 full-length feature films and won many awards in her 26-year career. And her movie productions have been nominated multiple times by XBiz and AVN. Jules' experience as a bondage model lends itself significantly to her ability to perform as a dominatrix safely. Her first and favorite love when playing is rope. She loves executing intricate, intensive bondage positions during play. To those who also love the thrill of rope confinement. Now, the legendary Jules Marceau on What Women and other wonderful humans want. It's five questions about memorable firsts. We call it the first five. First time you ever set foot on a set for a fetish video and what was going through your mind? So the first time I've set foot on a fetish video set, um, I was wondering, um, well, you know, is it going to hurt? And um, I was just wondering, like, you know, is this it actually? I think that's more accurate. I was kind of thinking like, is this it? Is this all there is to it? Because in my mind, I came from um, uh, porn sets. 
you know, I came from porn sets in which I was doing uh, lesbian movies. Uh, I, I didn't do, um, you know, boy girl kind of extensive sex movies in that way. I also did a lot of solo sex, you know, I got hired to do a lot of those and, and they were great and I love women very much. Um, you know, but I just was very adverse towards um, having sex with a lot of strangers and having sex with men and lots of penises in my face and cum in my face and, you know, STDs and um, HIV really worried me at the time in the, in the mid 90s um, because it was happening. And I just felt like it was very foolish for me to think that if I was going to do a lot of porn with fluid exchange that I wasn't going to catch those kind of diseases. And so I was like, what's this fetish stuff about? Show me, you know? So when I walked on the, on the fetish set, that's what I was thinking. I was like, is this all there is to it? And, um, and I kind of, you know, once they put the gag in my mouth and once they put the elbows together with rope, um, I already knew it didn't hurt. I was like, oh, okay, I could do this. I could do this forever. I could do this every day of the week. This is fantastic. And so they checked on me. They were very conscientious to make sure, because I was new, you know, they're like, are you okay? Are you okay? It does it hurt. And I said, well, is it supposed to hurt like more than it does right now? Because it just feels like a really nice stretch to me. Um, so I knew on that first set, that first shoot with John Woods uh, for Harmony Concepts, that this is exactly what I wanted to do. And if they would keep letting me do it, I was going to keep doing it. And so I did. I kept doing it. John has actually been a guest on our show. And Yay. it was so amazing to talk to him about the Harmony days, because those were my first days, actually, back in the Jennifer West, Maria Tortuga, Pia Sands days, talking about back in the 80s. So whenever I hear the words Harmony Communications or Harmony Concepts, it brings back some wonderful memories. I'm going to mention a different bondage producer here, but one that I have never been able to talk about. What was it like working on the set for the first time with Brian Davis and Simone? How come you've never been able to talk about them? Because I've never had someone who has modeled for them. Oh, wow. Well, okay, I'm very happy that I could be someone who could speak to that experience. Uh, so the work that I did with Brian and Simone is some of the work that I'm the most proud of, actually. So I'm speaking to you from my home. And uh, so some 20 something years later, I still have some of my favorite bondage positions uh, framed and displayed in my home, because while I'm still um, you know, not, not performing as a bondage model, and I don't think that I ever will. A large reason is because I will never be able to recreate that. And I am a bondage prima donna now. If it can't be that, don't want to do it. If it can't be House of Gourd, not interested. If it can't be Bondage Cafe, mm, you know, so um, 
and I like being in control now. But so anyway, uh, yes, Brian Davis uh, and Simone Devon became friends to me and uh, we would collaborate, you know, Brian would let me come up with positions that I wanted to be in because I would envision myself in the air with my hair dangling and my toes pointed in beautiful lingerie or, you know, whatever I was, whatever heels I was wearing. And, and we would create that and he would make it happen spot on. And I'm so proud of that work. And I don't, see many riggers that can recreate what Brian Davis did. You know, he, again, you know, there was a feeling there that I don't think it's hard to find now uh, with other producers. And the feeling was that I was a captured beauty, that I still had value, even though I was captured and I was um, restrained, but that I was still valuable. And, um, you know, I feel like producers now, as uh, the industry began to evolve, you know, I really began to feel that energy shift of uh, being a bondage model that was just captured and used or um, degraded. Uh, you know, the scripts became so, um, so much more harsh and so much more ugly. Uh, you know, the women were, it was like this deconstruction of their beauty mm. instead of an uplifting, you know, kind of a, a treasuring of their beauty. Like, I'm going to keep you, I'm going to treasure you, you're going to be mine, and I'm going to just revel in your sexual female eroticism, not like I'm going to de deconstruct it, abuse it, and demolish it. And I'm going to mess up your makeup and I'm going to treat you like trash. I'm going to call you all these nasty names and uh, I'm going to call you a cunt and I'm going to threaten your life. I'm going to threaten to break your bones. I'm going to threaten to cut you. You know, I couldn't handle that shift in the energy. And I, you know, and I began to try to evolve in that way. And uh, it really affected me mentally in a negative way. And I had to stop doing it. I was like, I can't listen to people telling me, even if it's in the context of a script, I began to, I think it was because I was doing it for so many years. I began to have a hard time uh, hearing people say that they wanted to do such destructive harm to me even though it was fake and that's just what happened to me and I've seen other models that I've I've have worked alongside with that have handled it better they're like eh I don't care and eh, no big deal and I just felt as though I deserved better and that I don't mind if other people don't mind that dialogue especially you know I sometimes have humiliation clients uh, who come to me um, for as to submit to me as as their mistress, and that's fine as long as it's consensual. Uh, I don't mind going there, but you know, for me to do that consensually to exchange money within the context of a script, I really had to question myself. You know, how how does this make you feel? Is it worth the money? You know, the rates were going down. And I, I saw an opportunity in which I could earn money in another way and still save my sanity. So, The first time you saw yourself in a photo that made you feel as though 
this is where I want to be. Mm. I think it's probably going to be a short fuse photo, probably a short fuse photo, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, probably right before I, I got my nice tatas. Um, <laughs> they were just still, they, they had this sense of style, you know, uh, Corey and Jim Withers, they um, styled their sets and their models and their costumes and their gear in such a way that I hadn't really experienced that. Um, Brian Davis and Simone did too, but it kind of stayed like a similar style mm -hmm. and I really liked that. Um, but uh, Corey and Jim, they really went for the glamor. And um, so when Jim dressed me, I believe it was with Eve Ellis for a shoot and dressed us both in a, two girl shoot. And um, even with my small little boobies, I was just, you know, with this hot redhead, I was like, wow, I can be that. And uh, it just, I think it, it just really got better from there. And uh, Eve Ellis was an incredible model. And I learned a lot from her. Um, being her friend that early on in my career, I will give her the credit. It benefited me in a huge way. I learned a lot from her as far as uh, modeling and posing and walking in six inch heels and sustaining that. Uh, it's not easy. And she did it fluidly, perfectly. And I was like, I'm going to do that too. <laughs> so I love how your biography on your website says height varies. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, it does. Um, I personally prefer classic pumps. I am a classic pump kind of woman. Um, but sometimes I do see the necessity in wearing a platform, especially if I'm working with a model that is, uh, you know, significantly taller than me. And if we're shooting together, it would uh, call for a platform heel. It's going to make the, uh, you know, layout of the photo look better. So, you know, it does vary. And some people think I'm really tall uh, because of that. And also platforms are a whole lot easier when you're doing a long day at a convention or an event uh, or a, a night uh, party, like, um, you know, the torture garden party just happened in November. Platform is going to help you sustain it for a lot longer. So, I'm, I still like classic pumps, but I can't wear them all night at a party. There's no way. So it varies. Do you remember the first time you ever put on latex, what you were wearing and how it felt being put onto your body? I mean, it was probably Simone Devin who did it the first time. Um, and I didn't really have a lot of thoughts about it. I just... Uh, it, it was okay because she was mostly putting on pieces, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like a, a body or a, um, like a, a garter belt or a bra, but it was when I got to Gwen Media, like to me, that's real latex application, like mm -hmm. when they're, you know, the cat suit and the hoods. So when I got to Gwen Media, I think that was in 2000, like that was, it was serious latex application. So getting into a cat suit, I, you know, my first cat suit, 
I was just like, why? <laughs> why? Yeah, those were my first thoughts. I, um, it wasn't something that I was really drawn to necessarily. Um, you know, I, I, I don't really reveal that very often, but, you know, I think that I'm old enough now that I can be kind of truthful about, you know, my real thoughts and my real experiences from the past. Um, I really could not reason out why in the world anyone would want to wear latex. Why would they want to put this on their body? I couldn't figure it out, but I was, uh, I auditioned for the part of, uh, Ivy Manor. And uh, I, I just didn't know that there were other girls, you know, who really wanted this part. Um, I also didn't know that the script was written, um, just for with the description of a woman that was very close to me. Uh, and so when I auditioned, it just really just kind of fit. I got along with everyone who was there, and. Um, so, uh, yeah, so they, they chose me, but it required heavy duty rubber wearing. And, um, luckily I had already worn hoods before, you know, leather ones, usually leather. Um, but I was not claustrophobic, super flexible person. And, um, so, you know, they provided all the latex. It wasn't something I had to purchase, thank goodness, because I was very young and that was very expensive stuff. So um, I definitely, in hindsight, I'm very grateful that I had the experience to wear some of the most expensive designs from the um, most coveted designers of latex at that time. And I looked really spectacular in it. Uh, so I developed a lot of fans that love seeing me in latex now. So, so now I'm kind of ball and change to it, and, <laughs> um, you know, and that's the nature of being in such a popular video series and that's fine. Uh, I like, I like the way I look in latex. I love the way that it looks, but you know, when that expensive latex breaks, especially on the first or second wear, I'm like, why, <laughs> why do we wear this? I don't, it's shiny. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's very delicate and it's very tricky. So um, yeah, and I think it smells weird. It smells weird. <laughs> Some people love the way it smells. They're like, it's intoxicating. Oh, I just love walking into my latex closet. And I'm like, oh, that smells horrible. And <laughs> after I've been wearing it all night, I stink. I mean, it's disgusting. You know, if I'm with a guy and he wants to have sex, I'm like, no, please, <laughs> gross. Let me take a shower. So, um, yeah. So those are my thoughts about latex. Um, yeah. I have, I still own loads of it, but. First time you ever appeared as a professional dominatrix in a session and what were your emotions going through that okay great yeah because I've been switching on camera since the 90s so uh I've played that part on tv for <laughs> a long time but actually in session the very first time I remember it because it was a double session and it was with Isabella Sinclair and um yeah so 
what was my impression? What was my feeling? Um, well, it was a tickling session. So, <laughs> um, and I still have this client today, actually. I mean, I think mostly because, well, this, you know, Isabella has, has moved to the East Coast and she's not, I, she probably has her special clients. Um, but, and this client's high maintenance. I will tell, I will be honest, he's quite high maintenance, but I'm going to see him um, this month actually in New Jersey. And uh, so my first thoughts of this session with Isabella, this tickle session, I was like, wow, this is easy. <laughs> it's like, this is so easy. I was like, I can so do this. This is so easy. Uh, yeah, that was my thought. And I was like, this is also really cute. How adorable is this? Uh, you just tickle, tickle people. Um, you know, but I had been topping girls and topping women and Isabella had me topping people in all of her videos. She actually had me mimicking her, like pretending to be her. And so, uh, you know, I, I, when people ask me, um, you know, how I became and started transitioning into being a professional dominatrix in session, I always credit uh, Isabella Sinclair because I didn't actually do uh, a traditional um, internship where I wasn't anyone's protege per se. I didn't do any specific uh, designated training, uh, but I watched Isabella and I copied her essentially. I copied a lot of the things that she did and I made them my own. Um, and I, credit her immensely. I mean, even wearing a watch, you know, I, I noticed that she'd wear a watch all the time. And, and I, and at first, because we would shoot video and I always found it to be like kind of distracting. And I would be like, why is she wearing that stupid watch? It's just, it doesn't match her outfit, you know? And I remember thinking that like, why? And then when I began to do real-time sessions, it hit me hard how significant the importance of having a watch on and not really having a clock on the wall because that's very distracting to the client to see the time tick, tick, ticking. You know, it's certainly much more discreet to have a watch on to be able to see the time. So I was like, oh, now I always, always, always have a watch. I don't even know if I wore watches until I met Isabella Sinclair. So um, yeah, that first session was super easy, adorable, easy. And then uh, I did a couple um, doubles, I think with the same client with uh, Irene Boss. And uh, she showed me how fun pissing on clients could be. And I was <laughs> like, I could do this too. This is great. This is super easy. And, um, you know, another wonderful, fortunate thing for me is that I have been tied and untied and tied and untied so many hundreds and hundreds of times that that has imprinted on me. And so when it came to tying up clients with rope, that just came naturally. Like it wasn't even something I really needed to practice. And I'm grateful for that because I've uh, heard a lot of dominatrixes complain or struggle that, uh, you know, um, tying ropes is really difficult for them. Uh, they either can't learn it or, and they never do, 
or they really struggle with it. And, you know, I'm, I'm at least proficient enough that, you know, if a client isn't really a large person, um, I can actually suspend them safely. You know, I have that, that enough skill to, to create that experience too. So um, those are skills that I, I'm very grateful for and find valuable. 26 years in the BDSM and fetish world. There is a lot to cover and we will continue in just a moment on what women and other wonderful humans want. This is Alicia Zadig, author of the new book, Yes, Mistress. I'm also Mistress Alicia, a leading dominatrix and BDSM expert. My book, Yes, Mistress, takes you on a provocative, eye-opening journey into the erotic worlds of kink, fetish, and female domination. Join me for a fascinating conversation. Male submission is more common than you think and more rewarding than you can ever imagine. Yes, Mistress, now available on Kindle, and you can order your copy at yesmistress.com. Hi, folks. Key Barrett here, and I've got a question for you. Do you think your wife or girlfriend makes the best decisions and you want to support her any way you can? Ladies, do you think your partner works best when they're told exactly what you want. You both might be looking for a female-led relationship. From mild to wild, these strong relationships have one thing in common, satisfaction. Read Surrender, Submit, Server on Audible, Kindle, and Paperback today to start your female-led journey, and good luck. Hi, this is Venus, and I have a special message going out to all the single ladies listening right now. What if you could have a committed, loving relationship with a partner who is monogamous to you, but who would love to see you have sexual experiences with others? Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, it's not. You really can have your cake and eat it too. You can have it all. Learn more at venusconnections.com. That's venusconnections.com. We invite you to follow us on social media. Check us out at What Women Want P1 on Twitter, What Women Want Podcast on Instagram, and for our kinky friends on FetLife at WWW Podcast. And now back to this episode of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. Welcome back to the show, joined by Mistress Jewel Marceau. 26 years in the BDSM and fetish industry. When was the first inkling that you knew this was going to be what you wanted to do? I think that when I was working with Gwen Media, I I was not getting older. Well, I, I mean, I was, in, but I was feeling old I felt like my time was running out it wasn't particularly but I I was just having thoughts about like I need to make some decisions Mm -hmm. Uh, I either need to completely find a different career and start working towards that or I need to make this Jewel Marceau character into a career I need to make a decision now 
because, you know, um, I'm just going to keep passing the years by. And uh, I didn't want to have n- no focus in my life. And it was really worrying me. So uh, at age 24, I um, started jewelmarceau.com. And, uh, and I did make it an online business. And that's when I made the decision. It seemed like the smartest thing to do at that time um, because I was working so much. Uh, since 1996, I was working constantly. I, I never stopped working. I never took a break. I was double, triple booked every day of the week if I mm. wanted to be. And I did because I, I liked to be busy and I liked money and I liked working. It made me feel like I was worthwhile, like I was doing something. So um, I did that. Yeah. So I went into, I, don't, I didn't know anything about websites though. And what was kind of shameful is that I had never owned a computer before. <laughs> um, yeah. I had gone to college for a semester. Uh, they didn't really teach computer things then. And um, I didn't own a computer. I, we, I came from a relatively you know, low-income family. So Gwen Media helped me start my website. Um, Short Fuse had saved my URL for me because they could see that I was super young and very not knowledgeable about URLs and websites and that kind of thing. And so this was happening to a lot of people that their uh, name and URL was being purchased and kept and being, um, you know, uh, extorted for money. And so Short Fuse had purchased my name for me without me really understanding the importance of it so that that wouldn't happen. And they gave it back to me for free because Mm. they cared about me and they were my friends. And so uh, Gwen Media helped me set up the website because I had no idea how to do that. And so uh, we went into business together for a while, but I knew that eventually I was going to want to be the sole owner, but I needed to figure out how to do that. Uh, So I um, just needed to be in it for a while and experience uh, what it means to delegate and to find the right key people to work with you to do the things that it needs to happen to make a website run. I eventually did find those people. Um, I finally moved away from Gwen Media. Uh, That was a smart move. Um, Gwen Media very shortly after dissolved anyway. So it was very, very good that I had moved away from Gwen Media. And I did find myself an independent uh, space, independent position in which I was the whole sole 100% owner. And, um, and I did really well. Uh, so and that continued um, until yeah, today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am fascinated and encouraged actually by hearing the story of the fact that so many people were looking out after you. Corey and Jim buying the website, 
people helping you along the way become the success that you could become. I think some people may have the idea that the industry of sex workers or fetish workers or anything is just this party all the time atmosphere, but there's some real intense and amazing friendships that you have within it. Your story about Isabel Sinclair and how she helped you find your dom side. Those friends just must mean the world to you. Those memories mean the world to me. And you're right. The illusion that it's party all the time is simply that it's an illusion. However, the idea that all of us are best friends is also an illusion. So some, some people are friends. I don't know who. Uh, No, I I certainly, you know, will never deny that uh, I give Isabella a lot of credit towards, um, well, allowing me to watch her. I don't know that she even knew how intently I was watching her. Uh, And, um, you know, I just just being having the opportunity to be near her was was very valuable. I think a lot of that happened by chance I mean I was at the right place at the right time and there was a lot of that happening uh as far as Jim and Corey looking out for me they really really did um I'm very sad that Corey left us so early um but you know friendships definitely change you know I'm at I'm at the age of 46 and and I'm gonna be 47 next month actually and you know, to be 100% honest, I'm very, very sad and actually quite depressed at times to know and, and realize that those uh, friendships no longer exist. Mm. It really breaks my heart. And that, um, yeah, there is no more looking out. And I, and I wonder what causes that, you know, um, is it, is it the state of the world? Is it the nature of how the, the industry has evolved? I think it has a lot to do with there's, the industry is not generating um, income that is, uh, you know, keeping us afloat in a way that's comfortable like it once did. And I think that creates tension. I think that creates isolation. I think uh, it creates a a lot of um, stress. And when you're stressed, um, I think people behave in ways mm, that are not as connected. So how difficult is it to turn on the Jules Marceau character on the outside when the inside is feeling torn up? Well, (laughs) you know what? Uh, Once I can like climb that mountain of putting on my makeup and putting on the outfit and the boots 
then it's easy then it's pretty easy but um yeah it's but getting there getting the outfit on <clears throat> getting the makeup on um that's really hard i makeup is if i'm feeling kind of a deficit in certain other areas of my life or um if i have a headache or if i have a tummy ache or i'm just or I'm stressed out in a certain area of my life. Um, I just, I feel like I need to be on point with my hair and my makeup and my outfit. And if I am, it makes up for those deficits in a really big way. And I feel really strong and really powerful. So I take the time, but it takes me a lot of time. Like it's really hard for me to get ready in less than two hours. And so, you know, that's one thing that I've been really frustrated with how the industry has evolved is, you know, now customers, they contact me and they want a five minute video. And I'm like, are you shitting me? Like, why? You know, you know, and they want it right now. And I'm like, no, I, I know I'm not going to get dolled up and be the, the Jewel Marceau that you see on Twitter. No, I'm not going to do that right now. And if I send them a video not looking like that, they're going to be really disappointed. And, it, and what just drives me insane is that a lot of these clients, they don't understand that we don't look like this every moment of the day. And so just popping out of five minute video i mean i don't know maybe some of the other models that are new these days who are you know in their 20s maybe they're not wearing all the makeup maybe they're more casual i don't really know i know there is a different caliber a different energy to the new generation of models uh now like they're they're like on their only fans they're coming from platforms that they're used to working on these platforms that are kind of more personal and more casual. Whereas, you know, performers that are more my age and older, you know, they're used to being on big sets, you know, with photo lights and makeup artists and production value and uh, whether it's small or large. And so it's, it's really hard for me to downsize because I want to provide the Jewel Marceau experience which is her, um, not just rolling out of bed. And, you know, I think my customers would get confused. They would be like, but you, you're in latex and you look like this and your hair and your makeup and your eyelashes and your, and now you look like this. I mean, I already get assholes who are like, yeah, she got fat, you know, fuck you, you know, fuck everyone. Oh, it's, you know, you can't please them all. And it's so hard uh, to hear this stuff. Um, you know, I want it right now. Mm -hmm. And I want you to look like that um, for five minutes. And I want to pay you $20. Mm. And I'm like, do you know how long it takes me to look like that? And I, and I just can't do it. So it's, that's been a real struggle, a really huge, big one. Um, you know, it, but I'm like, if you can wait till Saturday and I can accumulate 
many of these five minute little segments, then okay, I can do it, but they don't want to wait. They want it now, now, now. And uh, it's just really hard. It's stunning. It's really shocking. So um, I can't please them all. And um, they don't know what's going on in my life. And, you know, and the way that they talk to me is really difficult. You know, they, they don't address me with respect. Um, they just want to know if I'll show my pussy and, uh, you know, if I'm jerking off a dude or not. And, you know, again, I have to check myself and I'm like, you know, is this what you want out of life? Like not just, um, my career, but is this what you want out of life to be talked to this way? And it's what I've chosen. So I'm really on the fence about it. And, uh, you know, I can't control it. It's the internet. So um, I don't know. That's why I'm like, please do a class on kindness on social media platforms. Uh, and I am actually uh, have been very honored to be able to present a class in a kink atmosphere on kindness. And it is something that is so important to you. And one of the blogs that um, I read, I mean, Jewel, I'm, I'm, I'm being totally honest when I say many of them brought me to tears. Um, I want to read from one that you wrote called Smile Anyway. And the last paragraph says, my heart breaks for the horror that has already befallen our planet. While we all must look for the bright side, it could be challenging. When I feel it is the most difficult and the most challenging to see the brighter si the bright side, I force myself to smile anyway. If no one is around to see it, the movement of manipulating facial muscles into the shape of a smile actually inspires positive feelings on the inside. Then feelings of relief, joy, and hope arrive. Maybe it could for you. That's what I feel every day. And you are a person that so many people look up to in so many different ways. The people who need to hear that and see that are the ones who only look at the makeup covered, latex wearing, sexual being that you are, but what they really need to see is the human that is Jewel Marceau. And that you, so? are, you are giving them a gift. And maybe I over-romanticize things a bit. I'll totally admit to that. Well, I think it is a gift. I do. I just, I, I really hesitate being vulnerable uh, publicly. And I have a lot of colleagues, female colleagues who do not, and I see why. And I sometimes wonder if that gives them more power, but I feel so drained at times. I'm so drained that I, and I feel so fake that I am not being human. And, and, and I have had a lot of health issues the last two years, uh, I feel like I have just been perpetually sick 
for the last two years. And I really haven't been that public about it. Uh, in 2020, I did come out and I was public about um, some pretty serious breast health issues that were going on and on and on because I was not able to accommodate my clients. And I had to say something at some point, like I had customers that had paid for videos and I, I just, I had to say something because mm -hmm. almost a year was passing by. Um, but I haven't really said anything about the other um, health issues because it puts me in a vulnerable spot. And then people begin to treat me like a victim. And I've noticed that. So I have mm. to be really careful uh, because I want to be honest and I want to show them that I'm, I'm really human, that uh, I am Jewel Marceau and I have had this almost 30 year career of being an adult uh, business and it's um, been relatively successful, um, but that I do suffer, that I do stress out and that I do cry. Um, so, but customers come back to me and they treat me like a victim and then they start giving me advice and then they start telling me how to fix my life. Mm. And then I'm like, that's not what the message was intended for. It was intended to share with you that I'm like you, that I want you to see me in you and I see you in me and that there's strength in these words that we can share. I'm not trying to show you that I'm this pathetic, weak little girl. And this has been, you know, the struggle with me. And I have wondered, you know, throughout the years of my career, people have always kind of defaulted as treating me like a victim. And I have kind of equated it to the character I created, Jewel Marceau, the damsel in distress. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that hasn't just leaked over into people's minds that Jewel Marceau is this damsel in distress and she's just always needs to be rescued and she's so helpless and oh, poor her. Oh, poor her. And oh, she can't do anything for herself. Oh, I need to rescue her. And this is another uh, reason, in addition to the other ones I've said previously, as to why I have wanted to become a dominatrix and to be in control uh, because not just because of safety issues, not just because of my mental sanity, but also because I'm tired of being treated like a victim. Like, mm. why does this theme and it's and keep coming up? And so this this theme, I actually created it. Uh, I didn't know it at the time. Being a damsel in distress was something I thought was fun at the time when I was 20. Uh I, I didn't know that I was creating a stereotype in the consumers of the world that I am a helpless, pathetic victim. And I was like, I've got to change this. This is horrible. And so, but I has still have so many bondage fans and I can't get mad at them for it, you know? And so I still have my uh, archive bondage content up for sale. I can't blame them. The House of Gourds stuff is amazing. The Devonshire stuff is amazing. It's, it's great. And so they still buy it. Some of it is still paying my bills. I can't knock it to the curb. 
but I just would really like to eliminate uh, this stereotype in which people treat me like a victim. So I've really wondered if that is why, you know, people just default to treating me that way and don't, um, you know, relate to me as a, a person who um, is independent. I don't have a partner. I do everything by myself. I, um, I have three jobs. Um, I, I do a lot. I do a lot by myself and, um, and struggle with health issues and why they can't see that as powerful instead of here, let me tell you how you can fix yourself. Let me tell you how to fix it. Let me give you some advice, which is really condescending and it insults my intelligence. And uh, so everybody knows better than me. Everybody seems to know me better than me. It's quite interesting. I'll tell you what I see. I see a brave woman. <laughs> Thanks, John. I'm serious. I mean, it takes. Brene Brown says it best. It takes courage to be vulnerable because you are showing the world who you are and asking them to accept you in that way. But everybody has their story. Yeah. Everybody has their days. And until we can become a world where we understand the other side of things and not try to fix them, but just be present. Mm, yes, exactly. I think that's the world we want to live in. Exactly. Yes. You said it exactly. I couldn't have said it better. Thank you so much. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to actually talk a few memories with Jewel Marceau when we return. Have you ever wanted to try something a little kinky in the bedroom but had no idea where to start? Or maybe your partner just told you they're into water sports, no, not the jet ski kind, and you really want to fulfill their fantasy, but you're nervous. That's totally normal. I'm Kate Sloan. I'm a sex journalist who's talked about kink in magazines like Cosmo, Playboy, and Glamour, and on my podcast, The Dildorks. My new book, 101 Kinky Things Even You Can Do, is a guide to some of the hottest and best-known kinks out there, from age play to zapping and everything in between. Each section offers three suggestions for ways you can try out your new interest with a partner or even by yourself. Curious? Order your copy now at 101kinkythings.com and start learning new things about your sexuality. Realizing that you're polyamorous can be a wonderful insight. The Polyamory Dating Guide is a book about finding other people who share your view of polyamory and want to share it with you. This book includes a variety of sections on poly-specific dating, such as navigating online dating with a review of poly-specific dating sites and how to make a profile that works, real-time dating tips that will tell you where to find polyam people and how to make a positive impression, how to date as an existing couple, and if you should, dating as an introvert, queer in dating, and lots more. Get your copy at polyamorydatingguide.com. This is Tanya Tate. And have you listened to my podcast? Tanya Tate presents MILFs Making Money. I share a whole lot of positivity 
tips and tools on how myself and other women in the adult industry make money on premium social media platforms. If you want to hear me interview many different guests, then get yourself over there, milfsmakingmoney.com. And you can also search my name, Milfs Making Money, on all of your usual podcast platforms. And if you enjoyed listening to What Women Want podcast, make sure you get yourself over and subscribe to my podcast, milfsmakingmoney.com. Are you liking what you're hearing? Check out the Total Archives wherever you find your podcasts. And please remember to subscribe so you don't miss a minute. And while you're there, help John out by giving him a rating and a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now let's get back to what women and other wonderful humans want. Welcome back to the program, joined by Mistress Jewel Marceau. You talked a little bit about uh, Devonshire Productions and Brian Davis, and I want to kind of magnify that a bit. You talked about the fact that they made you feel special within the scenes. Back in the day, and I know we're sounding like really old people, but back in the day, people took the time to make sure things were done right. Jim Weathers still does it today. Shiny Bound still does it today. What was it about the way people were wired back then that people now could learn from? Well, I think uh, one uh, key factor, I think, would be attention to detail. And um, I think one even more importantly above that would be attention to the model, uh, attention to uh, her overall presentation. Uh, I did work with Shiny Bound one time before I retired from uh, bondage model performances and He was just a a fan of Devonshire and uh, those um, producers from the 90s. So uh, that that, of course, inspired me and and flattered me. I I I like for a producer to to like that style and that era of of bondage producers. So, um, yeah, I think they could learn from. well, also creativity, you know, they really uh, invested in, in creativity and um, thinking about making it unique while uh, presenting the model in a very flattering way. And I think, um, I think that's attention getting, I think that's eye catching, I think that's highly erotic and, and very sexy, because who wouldn't want to have that for their very own in the context of a fantasy and an erotic fantasy. So that's what I would suggest that they could learn from, um, you know, uh, look at Jeff Gord's creativity. I mean, that just will blow your mind, mm-hmm. but also inspire you, uh, you know, endless inspiration in his work. So uh, yeah, that's, it's, 
really great. Jim Weathers can inspire you and in, in what's just um, going to really showcase the female and all of her best facets, all of her best light. And uh, I just, I think that's what you want to do. Show the model in their best light, not their worst. I have said, and I've mentioned it many times on this show, to the point where my regular listeners are going to say he's going to mention Christina Carter again. But I had Christina on my second ever show. And I said to her, when I watch your videos, I'm watching with a different eye. Because while I appreciate your wonderful looks, your great outfits, which obviously having the nickname Hi There Catsuit, I would absolutely love your outfits. I said, what really intrigues me is imagining what you're going through at the time, how it feels to be in the ropes, how it feels to be helpless. I can only imagine from the Devonshire days, some of the positions he put you in for the length of time he puts you in and what must have been going through your mind. Can you give me a little trip there? Sure. Yeah. Um, it depends on there if there was a vibrator tied to my crotch or not. <laughs> so uh, it, and it depends on what the position was. So, you know, if I was, uh, tied say in ballet shoes and I had a crotch rope going up to the ceiling with my elbows tied behind me uh, pulled up into a strapado I would really be focusing on my breathing and balance and breathing and balance and I would be focusing on a drishti point you know ahead most likely uh now, if I was in the ballet shoes and that position, and there was also like a light stand or some kind of stand with a Hitachi wand attached to my crotch, I would be thinking the same things. And also, can I have an orgasm? Can I have an orgasm? Um, can I have an orgasm? But also at the same time, I mean, there's a lot of body awareness that needs to be happening. So I'm also thinking, um, you know, are my elbows okay? Are my elbows okay? Can I, are, is blood circulation happening? Because in my opinion, you know, the rigor, you know, and I say this as a dominatrix who does intricate rigging to submissive, uh, clients, um, you know, the riggers responsible for uh, the rigs that they apply um, to either their models or their submissives. But I also think that there is a responsibility that uh, the model or the submissive has um, that's held within communication. So communication, I feel like is important coming from the top and the bottom. It's very, very important. So if the, if the bottom does not properly communicate, you know, I, I mean, I feel like the top has, has the bulk of the responsibility, but the, the bottom has to communicate when things are not going wrong. And if they have a mindset in which they're like, you know, so, so 
subby, so ultimately submissive that they're trying to please their top or they're trying to be the power bottom, you know, in order to feel successful or feel like they're the best or like they won or whatever's going through their mind. That is wrong, 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 wrong. That is dangerous. That is very, very dangerous. And so, you know, I, I was injured. I was injured in a way of paralysis that was like not just numbness, but, you know, my left arm was paralyzed mm. for three months. It hung off my arm. My hand hung off of my left arm like a dead piece of meat. It like it just hung here for months. And that was from a rope suspension that was applied to my body naked uh, by a producer in San Francisco. And that was terrifying, absolutely terrifying. So, you know, in, in that regard, that was a little that was a little hard for me to respond because, um, you know, an injury can happen like that, like mm -hmm. in, in a split second. And so, you know, again, the top and the bottom are both responsible. And in that situation, that specific situation, um, I did not have the time to respond. I, I didn't even know it was happening, that particular injury. It happened so quickly that uh, I didn't know what happened. I felt just a little twinge. And so when she, I was released from that suspension, uh, I was given a table or a stool to like brace my legs. My legs were released first. My legs are the heaviest part of my body. That was probably really not smart for that person to release the legs first because mm -hmm. all of that weight transferred directly to my arms immediately because I couldn't reach the table. There was like a whole group of, of, of people on that set who could not see that the model could not reach the support. Mm. And no one was supporting me and I was gagged, so I couldn't say anything, but it didn't really hurt. So that was a very special circumstance that created a, a terrible consequence that resulted in uh, uh, filing a claim and uh, it resulted in a three-year lawsuit. Mm. So, uh, you know, in which I did end up winning in the end, but it was just three years of stress and three years of traveling to San Francisco. And uh, so, you know, I just want to reiterate how much responsibility there is in the bottom and the top and the bottom. So when I was working for Devonshire Productions, you know, I was constantly thinking, you know, am I okay? You know, okay, now my elbows, they're going numb. Like I can feel it. So, okay. It's at the stage of numbness and, and I'm a very advanced, uh, bondage participant. So I would not encourage anyone to do or, or go as far as I went because my mind could calculate things in a different way. And I knew that if I was in a hog tie that was very, very constricted and my elbows were numb, I knew that I, if I shifted my weight in such a way that the blood would begin to flow and I could get some relief for just a few more minutes here. And then if I shifted my weight, I could maybe get one more minute here. 
because I knew that the position was spectacular. And so, you know, me and Brian Davis were just connected, connected, connected. And there, there were times where he tied me in such a way that like, you know, from hips to knees, they were numb for months, but I could still walk. And so, you know, I am, I'm a bondage prima donna. Like, you know, I will go the extra mile, but I just, I can't have, you know, I need to be able to use my limbs. And, um, and it's very important that people know how to communicate. And I know I've repeated myself so many times, but it's so important because injuries are so real and it does not take a suspension to create an injury like that. And, uh, I had to see a neurologist and that neurologist said, you may never regain the use of mm. your hand again. And that terrified me. And I had to go through physical therapy and I had to um, go through, you know, many arbitrations to, you know, figure out the legal part of it all. Um, I was very young. I was 25 at the time. Mm. And so uh, it did come back. Uh, I was healthy. I work out. Um, but, you know, that doctor laid it out for me real. And this is real. And so I just want to stress to anyone who's listening to um, please take this into consideration as as a real risk. And um, so I, I teach bondage classes and I teach ways to avoid that kind of an injury. But um, anyway, yeah, with Brian Davis, that had to be going through my mind because he tied tight. Uh, Jeff Gord cranked it super tight and needed to be thinking about, am I okay? Is the blood flowing okay? Because these injuries are super real. I was also thinking about, can I have an orgasm, you know? <laughs> and can I just <laughs> hang out just a little bit longer for one more orgasm? Um, but I was also thinking about my blood flow because it was, we pushed it, so. I have to ask about Jeff Gord. I used to live in Seattle and knew that this bondage heaven was right across the sound. <laughs> and it was there, unreachable, but I knew it was there. Did you ever go up to Jeff and go, what in the hell are you thinking when he would show you one of his contraptions and you still did it? Um, no, like I wanted to do all of those things. I did. I wanted to do all of the, I, the only thing I, I thought, like, what the hell are you thinking is when he did it to someone else, but it was only because it was a very spinny thing. And I was like, oh. and uh, yeah, and he did some, some compression stuff that I think, yeah, was a little, little risky he compressed someone a little too tight with some kind of foam that i think oh just, yes yeah just uh, was a little hard to calculate how much it was going to foam up uh mm -hmm. and i think it foamed up a little much but i i wanted to do everything that he created yeah okay <clears throat> okay, there was one thing that I was like, are you fucking crazy? Like, what are you thinking? But he didn't really create, he didn't really build it. He just put three of us girls on the back of his pickup truck on his back bumper. And it, he didn't build it or anything. He just put three of us, I guess he did put little cups. So 
our knees went in these little cups and it was just one booty, second booty, third booty. And then our heads went under the, the bumper and he always had our hair in ponytails. And so our ponytails went like in between the truck and the bumper. And I just, I was like, are you going to fucking kill us? Like, this is it. Like, we're going to die. And I mean, our heads. So I just said, okay, fine. If I'm going to do this, I want to be in the middle because one of these bitches will fall off first. And so I was in the middle and we get into position. And so our ponytails are skimming the grass. And I'm like, our heads are so close to the grass. And he would drive like 35 miles per hour. And I was like, I can't believe this is happening right now. And, um, but none of us fell off. And uh, it was a hell of a ride. So um, yeah, yeah, that was good. That was scary. He definitely terrified me. But he was my friend. I loved him. His birthday, Cinco de Mayo. I think of him every Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> he is definitely someone who many people have some amazing memories of and definitely one of those cases have gone too soon. Let's talk about your present day uh, life as a professional dominatrix and also as an educator. You do some things on Clubhouse called Ask a Dominatrix Anything, where you're joined by some pretty amazing other dominatrices and one guest each week. Tell me what got you into that. Hmm. Yeah, how did that start? Uh... I, uh, I know. So um, I've uh, known Tara Indiana kind of from a distance for a long time. She actually informed me that the first time we met, I was like some young 20 something who was shooting at the Den of Iniquity, which was her dungeon, but it wasn't the Den of Iniquity yet. Mm -hmm. It was uh, Ilsa Strick's dungeon. And so I was shooting there. I think for, I don't know, I, uh, HOM <laughs> maybe, mm -hmm. or, yeah, so, and she was there shooting too, she was one of the Dom shooting, and she was like, um, that's when we first met, I was like, so, <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's cool, I remember Ilsa Strix very well, uh, but that, yeah, that was a very long time ago, and so she's kept in touch over the years, um, she's kind of, um, kept in contact, like, when she was doing Dominatrix Against Donald, and doing some protest stuff, and, um, and then as the pandemic has come about, um, she started a support group for uh, Dominus to uh, get together and support one another, which was really helpful um, since all of us were really quite isolated. And she invited me and, um, you know, I was on the fence about it, but I was also extremely isolated and by myself and my isolation started before the pandemic even hit because of my health issues and mm -hmm. then I just rolled right into the pandemic and I was like oh man this is terrible and you know none of us even knowing it would last so long uh so I joined her support group uh just thinking you know why not try it you know maybe it'll last maybe it won't and um so we're still doing it today um we were meeting once a week um now we're just meeting once a month 
And uh, I have met um, some really amazing ladies out of that support group. And so out of that support group, she asked me if I would like to come on to ask a dominatrix anything. And I said, sure. And she asked me, you know, it's every Saturday at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And she said, would you like to do it every week? And me being as busy as I am, I'm home a lot. I don't travel as often as I used to. So I said, sure, I can make that commitment every Saturday at 7 p.m. I think she's looking for people that are reliable. And I like to think of myself as that, as reliable. And so I said, yes. And you can see that and hear that at 7 p.m. Pacific time on Clubhouse which is a, another form of social media that if you aren't familiar with it, is actually doing some pretty cool things. Yeah. yeah. And as a professional dominatrix, you are enjoying that part of life, I take it. And are you still in the role of accepting new clients or do you like to be able to play with the ones that are established? <laughs> I am doing both. I have uh, my regular clients who I love to play with because I know them and they're super fun. And we have a relationship that's happy and and giggly and fun. Uh, And then I I know how to uh, get into their minds. Uh, So that's always a predictable way to kind of mind fuck someone that that I like. Um, but I am taking new clients. I'm, uh, have a new client on Thursday. Uh, I enjoy new clients too, uh, very much. So, um, I just bought a Venus machine, so I'm really excited to give that a try. Uh, and I've got the guiding plate too coming. It hasn't arrived yet, but, um, yeah, I've got some new toys actually, uh, speaking of toys and new, uh, So when I was at DomCon uh, last year, you won't believe it. I was stunned. I couldn't believe it myself, but I ran into Simone Devon. Yeah, I was just, I literally had not seen her in 20 years. It was amazing. It was just such a reunion and we hugged and we talked And uh, I have a um, former submissive who was actually my secretary. He would uh, cross-dress and do my filing and my shipping. And uh, he lives in in, uh, the same area as she does. And so um, she needed some help uh, getting um, her stuff organized and mostly her old gear. And she contacted me and asked me if I wanted it. And I got it. I got all of her old bondage gear. uh, Yeah. So my secretary brought it over. Um, She got a few pieces for herself. She deserved to take a few (laughs) for herself. She got some nice leather straps. Um, So I am so excited. I've already used one of her hoods on one of my clients. And uh, that one I I shot as a video. And uh, Yes. Ah, I'm so excited. I have some of it on display in my play space. And uh, I just feel I'm honored. I feel so lucky. And yeah, so that was all donated. I've got a, like two large bins of, of Devonshire gear. Very excited. If that gear could talk. 
I know. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I am taking new clients. Uh, I mostly, um, the fastest way to get a hold of me is via email. Jewel Marceau at Yahoo is the fastest way. And we can do a little discussion, a little interview process. And um, yeah. Thanks for asking. Jewel, this has been a remarkable interview with you the truth that you shared, the absolute authenticity you shared is very rare in our day and age, but I think you will inspire and you will allow people to realize that being authentic like you are makes you the beautiful human that you are. And all the makeup and costuming in the world doesn't equal the beauty that you have inside you. And I really appreciate you taking the time with me today. Thank you, John. Well, I hope I've made a new friend. <laughs> it took a lot to get Jewel to join me. Originally hesitant because she's such a private person, I assured her that we aim only to shine a light on the things people want to have front and center. I'm so happy she joined us to tell us all those amazing stories of a career well-lived, with certainly more to come. Until next week, I'm John, also known as Hi There, Catsuit. I hope I've earned the privilege of your time, and I remind you to always remember consent and to love each other always. What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want connects with you. We invite you to follow us on social media. Check us out at What Women Want P1 on Twitter, What Women Want Podcast on Instagram, and for our kinky friends on FetLife at WWW Podcast. This has been a presentation of Dating Kinky. Kinky done differently.